the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is a different perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I am in fact Kevin Randall. I kid you not about that. Uh, before we get to the guest, Matt Tiller, I want to say one thing. Next week, I'm going to be interviewing Robert Schaefer, and I'll talk a bit about this at the end of the program as well. Uh, I rarely bring a guest back that quickly, but we have a situation, I think, that uh, reflects on cancel culture and some of the nonsense going on in the UFO field. And because Robert is kind of uh, an expert in uh, the, the uh, aspect of this, I thought I'd bring him on. And we'd talk about that uh, at length, as a matter of fact. Today, I'm joined by Matt Tiller. He holds a master's in advanced psychological studies, as well as other certificates and academic degrees that include psychology, sociology, theology, and various foreign languages. I'll ask him about the foreign languages here in a minute. In 2018, Matt says he was inspired to take action in the field of ufology after reading the New York Times report on ATIP, on, on ATIP Opportunity or perhaps fate led him to the SCU in 2019. Yeah, I'm just fumbling this all over the place today. Today, Matt is a senior editor of the SCU Review, which we're going to be talking about. Matt Tiller, welcome to A Different Perspective. Hi, thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, before we get into the SCU Review, and I know that um, I've had Robert Powell on the program a couple of times, but that was a, a while back. And I think some of the newer listeners may not be aware of what the SCU is. So what is the SCU? Well, we uh, are now officially a nonprofit organization, so that's really good. And um, But the, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies is, a, as I said before, a nonprofit organization. And uh, we are various individuals who have come together to uh, dedicate our time and attention on volunteer status to the investigation and exploration of anomalous aerial phenomena. In our group, you will find scientists, former military and law enforcement officials and other professionals, uh, many of whom have had uh, decades of experience looking into unidentifiable aerial phenomena. And uh, many of us believe that there's uh, lots of unanswered questions that weren't, um, pardon me, <clears throat> that warrants serious investigation and scientific inquiry. So uh, that, that's it in a nutshell. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we have a lot of projects going on and still getting started. So the future is looking bright. 
Well, the cool question that comes to mind immediately is, can anybody join SCU? Um, when I joined, it was by invitation only. I don't think it's just uh, open to anyone and everyone. But then again, we're not necessarily exclusive either. It's not, uh, it, you know, it's, I, I don't want it to come across as being like some kind of um, secret society or, or something. But um, no, I, I don't think just anyone can join. You, you need to have a, a reason to join and you need to be uh, this more than just someone who's reading the literature and things. It's, participation is highly encouraged, I'll say that. Well, the... Uh, I, uh probably should say in the interest of full disclosure i am a member of scu so i'm one of the affiliate members uh one of one of the first affiliate members as a matter of fact uh, joined a quite a quite a number of years ago or months ago a couple of years ago uh does the problems with mufon that they're they've been facing in the last few weeks the last few months has that uh, impacted the scu in any way um <laughs> uh i don't i don't think so um I, I, I've not seen any anyone, uh, you know, making any allegations or throwing shade our way or anything. Um, that's very unfortunate. But I would say, what happened with the with the two or more people in Mufon uh, does not reflect Mufon as an organization as a whole, and in the same light would not affect us in, in, in any way. I, I could not imagine that that would even. Uh, I, I was wondering, I, I was wondering more in the, um, maybe a, a defection from MUFON into the SCU. I mean, people who have been around the UFO field for a long time, oh. and there are many members in MUFON who, who've been around see, for yeah. the see what you mean. Yeah. Seeing mm -hmm. the problems with, with MUFON would look for an organization that might have a, uh, more scientific outlook. Well, I, I certainly hope so. And um, yeah, I mean, we are always looking for new members and people with different talents and abilities to come on board. And, you know, it's the, the more scientifically minded people we have, the more varied talent that we have, all of us working together for a common cause will, uh, it highly increases our, our chances of opportunity of finding out some real answers, you know. Well, I think we've done enough recruiting for SCU for a while. Uh, let's get on to the um, the review. What exactly is the SCU review? All right. So the the SCU review, we've we've basically got a twofold process here. The SCU review itself, uh, the the original idea was to have an academic, scientifically based, uh, like peer reviewed journal, just like the uh, the APA or the ACA the American Psychological Association, the American Counseling Association. Uh, you've got like the uh, American Cancer Society. Uh, and, you know, those in, any number of institutions out there have their own professional academic journals and research journals. So that was our idea. Um, we started in on that and we were still so new. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a, a lot happening at that time to necessitate a monthly or even bi-monthly journal. That idea is gaining a lot of momentum and we have something in the works. But until we got that cranked out, the SCU review uh, was kind of my um, 
brainchild idea here, I guess. Uh, we needed, or did, like, I, I don't want to say like I felt it was necessary to like put myself on a pedestal, but I and a few others who were talking about this initiative saw that it was necessary to engage the public and to let people know that we're not some like elusive, ultra secretive group. Um, we're not hiding information in the shadows. Uh, we, we don't have a secret space program or anything, you know, um, but we wanted to keep the people in, engaged, at least information wise. And we also wanted to like, like a, a creative outlet, a place where we could have like a, a sci-fi section if we wanted to, or uh, I had some trivia questions towards the end, you know, that's always kind of fun. But then we also have some serious articles that aren't necessarily uh, research-based. But uh, say, for example, um, okay, um, Robert Powell wrote a really good exam, a really good article that was just discussing extraterrestrial intelligence and the search for exoplanets and things like that. Awesome job! It's more like editorial-based, so we don't want to put that in a scientific journal per se. There's not a lot of research involved in that. There's nothing, there's no new information. There wasn't anything he was researching or trying to establish a correlation. Right. But then to that effect, uh, I had the opportunity not, not long ago to talk with Dr. Travis Taylor when he was still doing the, uh, they were, they were in the first season of the secret of Skinwalker ranch. And so he was talking about some stuff that's like, um, you know, correlation, not equaling causation, um, but correlation definitely, definitely does equal correlation. And you know, I'll, I'll let the listeners read that article to find out what he's talking about. However, that is very interesting to read about that is scientifically focused, but does not necessitate a peer reviewed academic research article. So you don't you see what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's not peer reviewed at the moment. Well, the it, it's peer reviewed as far as like editing goes and to keep, to keep this, the focus scientific, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I was talking with a, uh, a very accomplished researcher in the field of ufology. And there was an article that I was really optimistic about. I wanted to get it. I wanted to put it in issue number two, but the focus was not, was not close enough to the mission of the SEU. And that's well, to keep the focus on the science, you know. I, I think we're getting into the weeds here a little bit more than I really okay. want to do. And I wanted sure. to say one one thing that that um, mm -hmm. I was approached at right after I joined SCU to do a, update my paper on the Mantell. Mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Mantell is the fighter pilot who was killed chasing a UFO in 1948. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want to submit the paper as it had been written because it was like 15 years old and there was updated material put into it. Yeah, I submitted the paper and it went for peer review and came back with all kinds of explanations and things that I needed to change to to fit the mold. And I said, OK, and I made the changes, submitted again that came back with more changes, more more um, ideas. One of the things they said, don't use sentences over uh, 25 words. And, and uh, one of the reviewers had rewritten the abstract. So that it was 35. There were two sentences were 35 words long. And I'm thinking you guys don't even have your own uh, guide. And how can I 
possibly submit a paper to an organization like that that don't have the guidelines submitted. So the mm -hmm. question is, is, you say it's not a peer-reviewed uh, journal at this point, but do you have guidelines set up now? Yes, 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 we do. Uh, we have guidelines set up, and it is, um, and, okay, I'll just tell you like what I would do. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Okay. Um, if the intent and the focus of your article uh, is in line with the SEU uh, mission, and that's to keep the focus on the science, and if this doesn't have too much speculation, I would have taken your sentences and made simplified them. And then sent no, my, an edited my version is, back to you. No, my yeah. point is, every time I submit, resubmitted the paper, looking at their criticisms and trying to, mm -hmm. to respond to them, I got it back with a different set of criticisms and them violating the things that they told me to do in the first the first go around. Yeah, um, I regret that happened, and uh, I, I can't answer for for anything that happened before I even knew the SCU existed. You know, um, but I can tell you now things are running much more smoothly and it's it's not you know I'm, I'm not making myself a hero here it's not all me i mean i have a great team to work with and um there, there's enough of us thinking along the same lines that uh, i would not unless there were some some very highly speculative angles at your article i don't see well, why it couldn't go through there there were, there were not it was based on the facts as they've been determined over uh, years and years of study but let's let we'll move on from that because i wanted sure. to talk more about mm -hmm. some of the uh, the articles that appeared in the first two uh seu reviews including the yubituba sample and uh, awesome. and you mentioned robert powell's article about exoplanets and and uh, interstellar flight so we'll do yeah, that yeah. But we'll have to do that when we come back because I'm going to have to take a break oh, here in okay, just okay. a moment here. Uh, what yeah. I want to do is mention that there are many fine programs on the Exome Broadcast Network, also known as xzbn.net. 
uh, go to the website, take a look down, scroll down, and you'll see some things that I'm sure that'll interest uh, you, if, uh, no matter what your interest in the paranormal is. I, there's a lot of exciting things going on there. When I come back with Matt Teller, we're going to talk about the Ubatuba sample, and I'll explain exactly what that is, or maybe I'll have him explain exactly what it is, so everybody can be on the same page, and we'll understand uh, some of the problems with scientific research, because there's some problems with the Ubatuba sample that uh, I don't think it has enough play. So we'll be back um, in just a moment. And remember, take a look at the Best of Project Blue Book, which is my new book out on Amazon.com. Uh, we can always use uh, some feedback on that. When we come back, we'll be talking about Ubatuba with Matt Tiller on a Different Perspective. And I am, in fact, Kevin Randall. So please stick around. Matt Tiller. Actually, he's not in the room with me because we are practicing social distancing. In fact, he's in a whole different state. So there you go. Makes it very, very nice for us. Well, when we took the break, I mentioned that we'd be talking about the Ubatuba sample. And for those of you who are not up on the minutia of UFOs, back in, I think it was September of 1957, a fellow Ian Brazil, near Ubatuba, Brazil, saw an object explode in the sky and pieces of it rained down on the beach. And he collected a number of samples, sent them to a newspaper or a magazine in Brazil. Eventually, Coral Lorenzen of the Aero Phenomena Research Organization got a couple of the samples. And they've, they've been analyzed as um, extremely pure magnesium. It was said that at the time in 1957, the uh, Magnesium of that purity did not exist on this planet. It was impossible for us to obtain and, and some things like that. That's the basic of the the um, the story. You um, in, in the one of the issues of SU, I forget which one it is, had a um, new analysis of the Ubatuba metal. Uh, what did this new analysis show us? The uh, new analysis showed that there were trace elements of um, barium. Strontium, uh, and that the the sample itself itself was ninety nine point eighty eight percent pure magnesium, if I remember correctly. Uh, there was also there was also a trace elements of um, copper and zinc. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't know how much the sample has changed over time. I mean, we're talking decades and decades here of um, of this sample, and 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 if it is legitimately a sample from this event in Ubatuba, Brazil. Um, so, I mean, like, the, the, the main question is um, whether or not these isotope ratios of the trace elements are, could have been... places. Yeah, yeah, it's a, basically, like, is it terrestrial or is it not? And the, the biggest question on everyone's mind is how, in 1957, in Brazil, um, could a, a metal like that have been created at all? With that, with that height of purity, that's the biggest question. And also have these trace elements in it. Um, but I also know that um, the testing was done in two separate labs, and the uh, testing by Robert Powell, Phyllis Buttinger, and others from the SU board, uh, board members 
were conducted under the uh, NIST standards, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So there are there were guidelines in place for that, and it's really just uh, it, it. I wish we had definitive answers to say that this came from this type of craft or these samples indicate that something an object like this would have to operate under certain numbers of conditions or whatnot but you know as i i I spoke with steve justice in 2018 and he was telling me about the atom projects and said it's a giant detective work that they have like they've got these um, pieces of metal or fragments of metal that they're looking at and they don't know what it is like they they can do the isotope ratios and see what the trace elements are or what this composure is or it's micron levels of well let's let's get let's get back let's let's get back to the ubatuba sample because um Mm -hmm. i i don't think i don't think my question got through to you and and i say that not that you didn't understand it the connection faded out there for a moment okay and the problem the problem is um the chain of custody is broken Mm -hmm. we don't uh, we don't know who picked up the, the, the samples on the beach. Exactly. And we don't, so we they, don't even know so they appear, the man that... they appear. They appear at the, 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 the um, uh, magazine office. Um, and then once they got to uh, Arizona and Carl Lorenzen's hands, the chain of custody is broken again. They disappeared for, what, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So the problem is... Are we even sure that the samples you guys tested were the ones that were picked up or found in allegedly found in Brazil? Uh, to my knowledge, no. And to my knowledge, there's going back to the very first sample that was handed in. That, as I stated a moment ago, you know, we don't know if the person who turned in the original sample to the magazine or the newspaper—it was a newspaper, by the way—we we don't know that that came from this crash or this explosion, this event. It was a UFO that exploded over a beach and pieces of it went everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people said the pieces were yellow. Uh, you know, I, there, there's no way to know. There's no way to know. However, whatever was turned in is unusual. It's very unusual. How, how did this piece of metal come into being at all? Well, according, according to the Condon, according to the Condon committee in 1957, Dow Chemical had created the magnesium of equal purity. Okay. With the same trace elements. There was some discussion that the trace elements may have been contamination from the electrodes when they did the spectroscopic analysis. Possibly, that's possible too. And since so, it, and I know, I know. It, a sample went to the Air Force, and I have to mention this because it's absolutely hilarious. Okay. Uh, Carl Lorenz, in, in cooperation with the Air Force, sent them a piece of the Ubatuba sample, and the Air Force uh, wrote back and said, hey, we accidentally destroyed it in our analysis. Can you send us another? Oh, my goodness. And this kind of cracked me up because, <laughs> because pieces of an alien spacecraft, if in fact it was an alien spacecraft, would be very hard to come by. And so in the Cavalier mm-hmm. attitude of the Air Force, they actually destroyed the sample without getting a good analysis. And I think the Condon Committee actually had uh, uh, would submitted for non-destructive analysis that, that, that working with the APRO people. Yeah. But, their, but their, analysis, their analysis suggested that it was uh, metal that could have easily been, been manufactured on Earth. Well, not easily, because magnesium of that purity is very difficult to obtain, but it was a, a manufactured process on Earth. So my question for you is, do, 
do does uh, the end result nullify the justification of study? I would think that the chain of custody being broken would cast a great shadow over, over any conclusion being drawn. Of course. Because you do not, you do not have um, the evidence, the, the mm -hmm. eyewitness testimony to, to attach the metal to the event in Brazil, to the laboratory. And then, I, as I say, um, once it got to the United States, I think once APRO uh, faded away on the deaths of both Jim and Carl Lorenzen, um, the samples disappeared. I think it was Peter Sturrock had found what he thought were the samples uh, a number of years ago and was tested again. So mm -hmm. I, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, given that history, if uh, continued analysis of the Ubatuba metal actually does us any good. Uh, I can't answer for, for the actions of, the other, of others. However, I, I will add this. Lots of times uh, it, it's about who you know. And in ufology, that becomes even more important. You know as well as I do, there's lots of people who are either out to make a buck or they're trying to confuse or they're, they're trying to do something. They have some kind of agenda, whether it's misinformation, disinformation, or just being nosy. Who knows? But it comes down a lot to like, you know, who do you know? Who's in your group? Who do you know personally? Who do you trust? And if there's enough chain of custody through trust of, like, for example, if Robert Powell came to me and said, hey, I've got something legitimate here. I want you to check it out. I would trust him. I wouldn't ask for paperwork because I personally trust Robert Powell with that, right? But wouldn't you want to know um, where it came from? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically here. I'm not, like, laying down the the, the, the uh, 11th commandment here you know <laughs> i'm just being figurative uh i i could imagine that okay for example again hindsight's always 2020 let's go to to the example of the the air force and destroying the first sample correct have they ever studied a sample like that before probably not did they make a mistake probably so <laughs> uh so i, I can't i mean yeah if someone brings a shard of metal and says it came from an unidentifiable aircraft, we think we've got something here, I'm going to be extremely careful. Uh, but if I don't know how to operate the machine and I have to have an employee to operate this machine, do so I that, tell the employee what he's dealing with? And that's, risk no, 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 that's, that's not the point. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. That's not the point. Okay. Because what you said was somebody comes to you with a piece of metal, you assume that they saw where it came from. You have a chain of mm -hmm. custody from the event to your hands and you take it to the laboratory and while you may not be qualified to operate the machinery to do yeah. the analysis, you can stand right there and watch the analysis being done. Yes. And so you've got a proper established chain of custody. You can say, I got this piece of metal from Joey Blowy. He uh -huh. saw the, he saw the thing blow up. If you've got additional witnesses, you've got, you've got something important there. But with the Ubatuba sample, what you have is a piece of metal that appeared at the newspaper office uh -huh. With um, and, and we don't know who brought it in. I know. Yeah, I agree. So the chain of custody yeah. is broken there from the beginning. From the very I, there's, beginning. There's so really, there's really no chain of custody at all. It's just a random guy that brings in a piece of metal to the newspaper. Absolutely. You see what so, I mean? So back to my original question: Does the end result nullify justification of study? 
It depends. Well, the, what's the end result? The you know, end re, the end result. And right what do you now. Look at, and what do you hope to prove? Because if you've got a random piece of metal and it fits into the periodic table that we have here on Earth, and there's nothing to separate this piece of metal from something that may have been ex, of extraterrestrial origin, then then you really don't have anything at all. I'll tell you my big fear in in ufology is. I find a piece, a real honest-to-God piece of a flying saucer. I mean, I saw the thing explode. I picked up pieces. I know exactly where it came from, and I take it to a laboratory to have it analyzed, and they say it's aluminum. You know, it doesn't prove anything one way or another. It's aluminum. It could have been made here on Earth. And I think where we are with the Ubatuba sample is that we're at that point, that it's magnesium, and it was magnesium of a very pure magnesium, but it was nothing extraordinary. And we don't have a chain of custody. But you know, that's kind of my worry about yeah, it. The, the chain of custody is a concern. However, let's look at the sample. Please count for me how many samples from, you know, anomalous aerial vehicles are there out there currently being studied. Well, let's uh, talk about Project Moondust for a moment, which whole purpose was to recover returning space debris of either foreign manufacturer or unknown origin, and it had a UFO component, and I know it was deployed at least nine times. So there's nine possibilities. I suspect most of them had to do, I think one of them was a, 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 the uh, jettisonable fuel tank of a, on a jet, but the point simply is there's been any number of opportunities to collect samples of unknown origin. So there's been many, many studies that I'm aware of. Uh, we don't have many much in the way of the uh, of, of results. Um, then the fact that you and I can rat rattle off a list and come up with a estimated number suggests that there's very few, very few. So yes. you, you kind of have to... Sometimes you've got to investigate something so that you can rule it out. But there's been a number of investigations of the Ubatuba sample over the years, not counting the Air Force attempt to uh, discover what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess the whole point is, I, I guess the point is, what were the results of this latest study? The results were that the Ubatuba sample... 99.88% pure magnesium. With yeah, wait, wait, well, you said, you said that. Let me interrupt you. You mm -hmm. said that, and, and we're getting into the weeds. I mean, did they mm -hmm. suggest it was extraterrestrial? Did they say it no. was terrestrial? No, we, did they say no. we don't know? <laughs> uh, we, we don't know. That, that's, that's where we're at. We stood, stood the official. We can't, even if it came from a UFO, right? operating just like the sports model UFO that Bob Lazar allegedly worked worked on, correct? We can't say that it's extraterrestrial because we haven't gone to an extraterrestrial factory to watch it be made. Okay, let me interrupt because I have to take a break and I, I, sure. let, I let the time get away from me here. Oh, that's cool, yeah. No um, I just wanted to say, you know, um, I'll have more information up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Maybe links to a couple places where you can read some additional information about Ubatuber or what all has been discovered in the last 50-some uh, years of analysis of it. We will be back right after this talking about, I think we're going to talk about exoplanets and interstellar flight. So please stick around.
I am always tempted to let the music run a little bit longer to see where it goes, because all I ever hear is the very beginning of it. I don't know. What and now we go. <laughs> now we go. I am still here with Matt Tiller, who probably hasn't hung up on me now because the music keeps coming back. <laughs> but um, we were talking about Yuba too, and I think um, the conclusion we've reached here is um, there is nothing in the sample that suggests an extraterrestrial origin. Is that to, correct? Today, that is correct. Today, there's well, a paper. There's a paper coming out, but I'm not involved in uh, in that research. Does it suggest it's extraterrestrial, or do you not know? <laughs> uh, I I would rather, honestly, I'd rather not say, but I did, will, but, but honestly, I'd rather know. Yes, that's true, and I would rather know too. So I think that we should we should wait for a, a more definitive conclusion for the group. You, that that that's a part of that peer review process that's going on with the SCU Journal. Uh, the peer review for the SEU review is a group of us who fact check, mission check, and grammar check to make sure everything looks good before it comes out. But the peer review, the scientific peer review process with the journal is ongoing, and uh, it, it is gaining much more momentum. But um, uh, we we are still working on publishing the first volume of that, of the SEU journal. And there'll be a longer, more involved paper about the Ubatuba sample in the first and, journal. And, and I hope so. I hope okay. that it will uh, it will be available by by that time. Yes. Okay. Let's talk there's about. Some, there's some really good stuff going on that I just I can't I can't discuss right now because it's not it's not the right time. So like maybe COVID has slowed some things down. Um, and I don't I can't disclose any details but i will say that there's uh, there's a lot of talk from to the stars academy and also from the general public about having some type of uh software to track the sightings of unidentifiable aerial phenomenon that's something that's also caught the attention of the scu and uh i'm just I'm, i have to leave it at that but there will be details uh with that with that type of observational um, data coming soon, coming very soon. Hopefully well, this month. Hasn't the to the, Scar to the Stars Academy kind of shot themselves in the foot a number of times? You know, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, in defense of To the Stars Academy, right, they have a lot of great stuff ready to roll. And for one reason or another, they are told to stop. And so it's almost like who who told them to who told them to stop it? I cannot I cannot say definitively who. Is that um, because you I, don't I, know, or they or they don't want you to tell anybody? Uh, I can tell you my opinion. This is this is my opinion. It does not reflect the opinion uh, of To the Stars Academy or 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 any organization at all. This is just my personal opinion. Okay. Um. So my opinion is they work in cooperation with government and there are elected officials in government who believe that the exploration of UFOs or extraterrestrials or anything like that is demonic or it's satanic or it's evil or it's morally wrong. And I speculate 
that some of the pushback is coming from people who think that it's morally wrong or they don't want to wear the UFO hat or they don't want to carry around that stigma. And so they're told to stop. Yeah, but you haven't told me anybody. You haven't told me who it is. You're, 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 you're well, I don't know. You're... I, I can't name individuals uh, in, in politics who it may or may not be. Well, I have no idea. When we look at the stuff that's come from the two to, to the Stars Academy, I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that today. And look at some of the stuff that has been released through their um, the various press releases and the people working with them, it just does not bear out. Some of the people that they're holding up as high government officials or important scientists turn out to be kind of nutcases. Like who? Uh, they believe they believe think they believe the Del Rio crash was real, even though it's single witness and it's a, a clear hoax. But they're they're operating as if they're inside the government, know all these things, and then they say things like that, which is simply not true. They endorse. The I said the what crash? Pardon me? The, the, yeah, the signal dropped for just a minute. You said the what crash? The Del Rio UFO crash, which uh, supposedly was in 1948. I mean 1950. I mean 1955. The witness kept changing the date. The guy was not an Air Force colonel, as he claimed. He was not a fighter pilot. And yet, uh, in some of the recent discussions from the Two Discards, to the Stars Academy and uh, some of the people involved with that, they still believe that Del Rio was real. Del Rio was real. Uh, um, I, I, I can't really answer for whether or not it was real. or I if can. It, was, it wasn't. It was it's a hoax. How do you know? I'm, I'm just, just, just to play devil's advocate, and no pun intended here with the, you know, the demonic UFOs. How do I know? <laughs> because I investigated it in depth. Because I looked at the background of the single witness who claimed to have been an Air Force colonel, a retired Air Force colonel, and, and, and claimed to have been a fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got his military records from St. Louis, I discovered he'd been in the military for 13 months. He rose to the rank of E-4, which is a very low and uh, very low ranking enlisted soldier. Um, the pictures of him in his Air Force uniform were actually him in a Civil Air Patrol uniform. He was not a fighter pilot. He was not a retired colonel. And there's no other witnesses to this alleged crash. The only place it's documented is in the mythical MJ-12 documents. Yeah, that's, and that's interesting. And, and um, there's absolutely no other witnesses to this. All the witnesses he named were conveniently dead when he gave us the names. And eventually he claimed to have been involved in uh, seven, seven UFO crashes, including one he was driving down the road in Pennsylvania and a farmer stopped him and said, hey, there's something over here you need to see. Because that happens to me all the time when I'm driving in back roads, farmer stopped me and said, take me to the crashed UFOs. Uh, the point is, that's how I know the Del Rio crash is a hoax. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Uh, yeah, uh, it definitely seems less credible when you have someone who's uh, not forthcoming with their own identity work experience and things like that or if they're you mean lying about their background it. yeah yeah if they're if they're bumping it up or trying to look larger than life or if they're outright lying yeah it definitely makes it look much less credible it, it, no, it doesn't it doesn't make it look less credible it turns it into a hoax especially when you can get no corroborative evidence. There's no newspaper articles that talk about this mm -hmm. anywhere. The date changes. Yeah. The description well, yeah, all, of changes. All of those things, of course. Yeah, all of those things together, yes. That, in my definition, would uh, th that sounds like a hoax. 
Um, if you've now, got the all problem... the pieces of evidence, uh, I, I will say that uh, uh, when I first started talking publicly about um, unidentifiable aerial phenomenon and the fact that it could be extraterrestrial, a lot of people I know personally thought I had lost my mind and they thought I was on drugs. And I, I was really worried. And so I wasn't very forthcoming with who I am or what I'm involved in or what my interests are. Uh, I started wearing my glasses more, especially like social media and stuff. Like I, I wear glasses, but I also wear contacts. I mean, I was um, afraid to even be associated scientifically with the topic simply because of the stigma that's out there. And like, I live in the Bible Belt. So if I'm going on public record talking about this stuff, I have to have my facts in order. So, um, well, let's, 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 let's turn this around on you a little bit, because I'll tell, tell you a little bit about my background. Right. I've had a top secret clearance in the military um, since I was commissioned. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody knows about my interest in UFOs. When I showed up at my first assignment in the Air Force, one of the first questions they asked me was about UFOs. In the background investigation for my top secret clearance, there were four magazine articles included in the packet that I had written that was critical of the Air Force. And I was trying to get a top secret clearance in the Air Force. So, you know, that sort of thing, everybody, everybody I served with knew about my interest in UFOs. So it, it, it never, there was no stigma attached to it and that sort of thing. I wasn't embarrassed by my background in the military, background in, in ufology. So uh, the, the point simply is, is that um, we have to look at all of this sort of stuff and do the proper investigation. And so when I see that the guy, one of the guys associated tangentially with the Two to, Star, to the Stars Academy is pretending, suggesting that he has some kind of insider knowledge and yet uh, is endorsing the Dell real crash, I have to take a look at that and, and wonder exactly how much vetting is done on these people. I don't know. Um, I can't answer for that. I would, I would like to think that there was some serious vetting and investigation done. Just like in the case of Rendlesham Forest, I mean, uh, was it uh, who was the man last name Halt or Penniston, uh, who was actually injured by the crap? Uh, the uh, no, it was like, Burroughs. Burroughs, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm bad with names. I'm sorry. Um, my apologies, <laughs> uh, and to everyone involved there too. But yeah, he went to get his uh, benefits, and then suddenly, voila! He just he never was never in the Air Force at all, according to the records. But in fact, he was. He was. He was who he said he was. So, you know, is it is is that the case uh, that things were changed about this one specific man? To no, that's the not the case. That's not the case because it's not. It's just not possible to be done. There's too many ways to vet that. If, for example, you wrote to the air to the St. Louis for my military record, and they said we don't have any record of this guy being in the military. Mm-hmm. I can provide you with with all kinds of documentation that I accrued during my time in the service, including what they call travel vouchers. Okay, cool. Like yeah, that makes documentation sense. is completely and totally irrelevant. What happens with guys like Willingham, the alleged colonel, he can't produce any of those documents that are legitimate. Mm, yeah, that's bad. Peniston, Peniston, Burroughs, and Halt all 
We got pictures of Halt in his colonel's uniform. We have pictures of Pediston and Burroughs on the uh, Bentwaters airfield. We've got mm -hmm. all kinds of documentation attesting to who they are and what they did. There's no question about it. The problem was his medical records were classified. That was the real bugaboo with uh, Burroughs until he got uh, Congress people involved and mm -hmm. they were uh, able to get his records. And he's now considered 100% di disabled because of that event in in Rendlesham Forest, but it's a yeah. completely situation where everybody he, he could point to people who saw him on the base. He had pictures, he had documents. Willingham had pictures of himself in a Civil Air Patrol uniform, which is not the same thing as an Air Force uniform. The documents that he did submit had clearly been altered, and when I checked the documents out with various different agencies, they said, no, this isn't right. These things aren't put together right. It's clear what he'd done is forged the documents. Yeah, that's so really bad. I can say without equivocation that, that, that Willingham lied about his background. Or was he someone else's sounding board? No, he was. Good Lord, no. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm just thinking of, I'm trying to think of any... In, I'm very glad that you didn't have a problem with the stigma and for people thinking negatively about you uh, for your interest in UFOs. But there are millions of people out there that that is a, an issue they deal with, especially when it's not something they enter in with. When they suddenly develop or they suddenly have an event happen and it confuses them, they look around to loved ones, family or coworkers or whatever for validation or just to express their their strange story and to find no one believes them is even more socially isolating and then to almost be blamed for your sudden interest in this i mean that it it's it can be pretty hard for some folks but I, i'm not trying to gatekeep on to the stars and i certainly don't mean to be confrontational well let me let me let me interrupt you here because sure. it's time mm -hmm. again Oh my gosh. Uh, take a short, <laughs> short break here. Cool. Um, I just, I'm going to point out once again that um, no, a number of my books are on Amazon and they're uh, now available on Kindle format. And, and for those of you who are interested, um, Bob Cornett and I did a series of books called uh, originally Scorpion Squad and then Vietnam Ground Zero. Those are being republished by an English publisher. So take a look on Amazon, see if there's something there that might be of ex excitement to you. Uh, I certainly was excited by the books coming out again. Uh, we will be back right after this with Matt Tiller, and I promise we're going to get to exoplanets and interstellar flight if it kills me. So please. <laughs> and having trouble with music. <laughs> and it's all my fault. I started that the last summer. Uh, maybe we can get some good music here sometime. Anyway, I'm with Matt. Matt. Uh, one of the things you said kind of intrigued me, Matt. Uh, was, was talking about how people uh, see something anomalous in the sky. And I'm beginning to hate the term UAP only because it could refer to a bizarre cloud. Um, yeah. 
but but um, you were talking about it as if you'd had some sort of a v event. Did that spark an interest in UFOs, or, or how did you get interested in UFOs? Um, man, let's see. It first started when I was a kid. I wandered around the library, found the uh, quote-unquote paranormal section, started reading about ghosts until I had read all those books, and then I started reading about aliens and UFOs. And uh, then about a year or so after that, I was watching a TV show called Unsolved Mysteries because my bedtime had changed and I could stay up to like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock now. And I was watching Unsolved Mysteries and uh, they talked about Betty and Barney Hill and talked about Roswell and some uh, other things. And um, that just uh, between all of that, it, I got hooked. But uh, my very well, let, me right, let me interrupt right here. Yeah, let me interrupt yeah. right here because I have to say something. Mm -hmm. I was on the Unsolved Mysteries that talked about Roswell. Dude, awesome. Oh, my gosh. You, like, you vicariously inspired me, man. Thank you, good sir. Wow. And, and, and that, boy, don't I regret it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, the first sighting I was, um, oh, my gosh, 12 years old. I was walking through my neighborhood clear as day. Beautiful spring day um, outside Nashville, Tennessee, in the suburban country area. And uh, it's uh, about 300 yards away, maybe 200 yards up off the, off the ground. There was this oddly shaped triangular yet circular, just like oval or round shaped object that was metallic that appeared in the sky. Uh, I could go on and on about the details of how it looked and what it did, and, and but it was UFO. And as an adult, I've seen several things, but um, you know, for me, the biggest thing was uh, a tip. It was you know when I saw uh, Mr. Luis Elizondo on CNN talking about a tip, it was like. I, I couldn't believe it. And so instantly for me, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, these things that I've researched for so many years or studied about and read about, how many of them are true? How many of them are not true? Is it all true? Is only some of it true? Are just these two videos true? And that's it. It, it really it was, um, it was like a big puzzle to put together. But yeah, when I was um, speaking with friends, family, um, even colleagues from time to time. Yeah, people thought I'd lost my mind. They thought I was crazy, you know? So uh, now I feel at least 50% vind uh, vindicated, validated, you know, now that uh, people have had so much time to sit at home and, and mandatory stay at home or quarantine or whatever you want to call it. And they've watch the news and they've seen these exact same things I've seen and now you've got mainstream news commentators saying the exact same things and even more uh, even using the term off-world vehicles or uh, you know off-world technology or I, I don't remember all of the buzz terms they're using but it's definitely a, a um, feeling of validation I would say so, so what you're saying is you're a true believer you, you lean toward the extraterrestrial in my personal opinion, yeah, that seems like the most logical explanation for me. Um, you know, we, as people have said before, 
these are aircraft that do not operate with, within the, the realm or the capabilities of our or arsenal or any of our um, adversaries or allies around the world. Uh, they appear to, quote-unquote, defy the laws of physics, but they're not defying the laws of physics. They're just operating in ways that we don't understand. Is that, uh, is that the general attitude of the SEU or the majority of the people or all the people uh, leaning toward the extra pressure? Uh, I can't speak for everybody, but as a group, basically what, what we're saying is these are phenomena that warrant serious scientific inquiry, that we need scientific investigation. Now, Within our group, you will find a lot of people who personally believe these objects are extraterrestrial in origin. Uh, you'll find those that want to believe it, but will not officially even say in a private conversation that that's what they think. Because they, they, on, they only want the truth. They only want the truth. And so, as an organization, we only want the truth. If this turns out to be you know, some sort of advanced civilization that's been keeping things running on our planet behind the shadows, much in the same way that England would go into Africa and they would conquer a country behind the scenes and they would rule in the background and have the king or the rulers, uh, follow, you know, follow their lead. That's where we're, we're you know, delving away from UFOs here. Quite well, a bit. I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is that they're, they're some people think that that's the explanation. Well, let's that, let's um, let's mm -hmm. let's let's go on because one of the things we I wanted to talk about with the exoplanets, and I know that when yeah. I began my research, we didn't know if the solar system was unique, if it was rare, or if solar systems were common throughout the through the galaxy. But the one problem is the speed of light. We mm -hmm. can't we can't penetrate the speed of light. Supposedly that's the limiting factor in the in the universe. It's just it's just not a good idea. It's a law, the speed of light. Mm -hmm. well, that seemed to limit the possibility of interstellar flight and alien visitation. I'm, I'm going to regurgitate some things that Dr. Kevin Knuth has said. Uh, number one thing we got to remember, and this is directly from him, most of what we understand about speed of light travel is based on science fiction. And I'll, that's, that's the, the, the biggest piece of evidence I always keep in mind when I'm discussing theoretical quantum physics and time travel or warp speed and things like that. But there are actually so discovered uh, I don't remember how many, 9, 18, 12, something like that, objects out there in space that were traveling faster than the speed of light. And these were galaxies that were moving fast further away from us and so for them to be moving further away from us suggests that they are traveling faster than the speed of light. The concept of the speed of light is based on a stationary measurement and then observing something traveling at a certain velocity. Uh, and that notion is never going to replicate itself in the vacuum of space, even, even under certain circumstances or manipulated variables. Uh, Dr. Knuth also suggests that we could attain interstellar travel by um, even traveling at a fraction of the speed of light, like one thirty-third the speed of light, so it's it's not it may not be possible today. But doesn't know, if, but, 
as as you move toward the speed of light, doesn't doesn't that uh, slow down time relative to the ship? So you end up with time dilation. So while the crew may survive, they they would come back to an Earth that uh, they wouldn't recognize. It would be could be thousands of years in into the future, even though they had traveled for only ten years in space uh, around the speed of light. Theoretically, yes, that's true. But again, uh, to throw out an, exa an example that uh, Dr. Knuth shared with me and in others in the presentation, uh, <clears throat> you might remember the Mars One initiative in which they were going to do some type of reality show by colonizing Mars in like uh, five people at a time until they had like 15 or 20 or so individuals. Well, there were thousands upon thousands of people that signed up for that. And so even though, let's take for example, uh, five people who are going to go to um, Proxima Centauri, right, and come back. When they come back on Earth, everything's going to be changed. Uh, you know, Earth will have aged by thousands of years. They will still be young, early 20s people. But, uh, you know, that might not matter to them. Uh, well, you know, the difference... The difference well, between anything, you know? the difference between between going to Mars and going to Alpha Centauri, given our mm -hmm. technology, and and we're limited yeah. by our technology today, mm -hmm. we can get into Mars to Mars in what a year, and at current technology, we can get to Proxima Centauri in like eighty seven thousand years. Yeah. So what yeah, I'm saying, today's technology, the, the distances, the, the distances suggest. Yeah. That interstellar flight may not be possible, which may explain the Fermi paradox. The, the Fermi paradox is not a true paradox, and it wasn't even originated by Fermi himself. But we can I'll let Dr. Michio Kaku explain that one. So, um, going back to uh, yeah, today's physics, no, of course we cannot travel even one thirty third of the speed of light uh, today. But that doesn't mean that we're, we would not be able to do that. 10 years from now and uh in going I, back I, I will predict that 10 years from now we still won't be able to obtain the speed of light yeah we may not we may not we may not need to actually travel that fast sometimes it's it's not necessarily making yourself travel faster but manipulating the the track under the tires you know just to, to kind of speak in a random example there is that um it's not always about the force of propulsion that dictates speed and velocity. Well, I think we've, we've didn't get to exoplanets like I promised. Oh man. I, I can sum it up. I went off, we went off on a tangent and it's my fault. I, I completely confess it was my fault. Um, well, we're going to have, you, can I give the viewers something to research on their own? Um, let me just say that your website is killer4riller.com. That's T I L L E R with a four with an R A R I L L E R. Killer4riller.com. Take a look at your red, uh, website. And you were going to say before I so rudely interrupted you. That's okay. The James Webb Space Telescope. If you want to learn more about exoplanets, research the James Webb Space Telescope. There you go. And I will have links to some of this stuff on my blog, which is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, which I haven't said enough in this program, and I can't believe I didn't do so. Uh, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us for an hour yes, or so. Sorry to real so hard, but what the heck? It's my job. Hey, thank That's you That's why I paid so the big bucks. Yeah. It, was, it was great. I enjoyed talking with you, and I look forward to another opportunity in the future.
Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you as well. Have a great day. You too. Next week and the week following, I'm going to be talking with Robert Schaefer, as I said at the beginning of the program, that um, we're going to be looking at um, something about the cancel culture that is just reared its ugly head. We're going to be talking about Philip Class and some of the outrageous things that have been he's been accused of recently. And we're going to take a look at some of the things that Stan Friedman did that uh, were, dare I say it, classical, meaning simply it, it, it seemed that uh, Stan Friedman had taken a page from uh, Philip Class's book about uh, dealing with people you don't agree with and how to silence their voices, which is where we get into the cancel culture. And I think it's going to be an interesting program because I think people are going to learn a lot of things about Stan Friedman they weren't aware of. And they're going to learn some things about Philip Class they weren't aware of. And um, I, was, I would say at the beginning of that program as well that I did know Philip Class. Um, he went to the university, he went to Iowa State University. I went to the University of Iowa, so we were in-state rivals. He was there much, much earlier than I was at Iowa State, uh, University of Iowa. So we'll be talking about that uh, as well. Um, and, and once again, it, uh, it is important if you've seen a copy of uh, Project Blue, of the best of Project Blue Book to uh, put up a review of it. it it's, it's very helpful for the author. It helps get the message out because it inspires other people to buy the book. And I think the book is important because of what it says about the investigation of Project Blue Book. And while you not, may not believe that um, aliens are visiting Earth, you can also take a look at how the Air Force botched an awful lot of those investigations. And I think it's an important thing to take a look at because it demonstrates what they were doing. And the other thing I should point out is I have a book coming out next May, next May, called UFOs in the Deep State, where I look at some of these things in depth. So I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll look for you next week when I'm talking to Robert Schaefer. So thanks for uh, listening. Mm -hmm.